Hello there, Brian of London here from Tel Aviv in Israel and nature. Not my usual forest. Get ready with the targeting. You won't you won't get me if you uh, hit me in Park Hayekon. I am not in Park Hayekon, Hamas. No point shooting there right now. Um, but uh, obviously it would be better if you don't shoot while I'm doing this. I am more than 90 seconds away from a safe structure, so I will just have to lie on the ground like an idiot and cover my head with my hands, uh, because apparently that's the thing to do. Yes, we're living under a rocket attack again. Uh, not the first time this has been uh, the way it's been since I've moved to Israel. Uh, fortunately, I live in a building that's relatively new. We have one of these uh, safe rooms with a big steel shutter that I had to oil so that it slides across the window. Um, and yeah, we've had alarms at sort of nine o'clock in the evening that went on for 20 minutes or so, on and off, on and off. And then we've had, we've had a 3 a.m. one and a 1 a.m. one. And, uh, but in comparison to what's been going on in Ashdod and Ashkelon, and then the communities right next to Gaza, we've had nothing here, just, but, Having said that, I mean, last night, for example, they were rocketing Ashdod and Ashkelon like crazy during the evening news. They were showing it live on the evening news and I was out on my balcony looking south and it's, it's far distant for me. Maybe I'll show one of the things I videoed at this point in the video, but it's far distant for me. But I could see the little pinpricks of light going up to meet their, uh, meet their match. Um, the, the nature of this indiscriminate rocket fire from civilian areas towards Israel. It's a war crime, it's a double war crime, it's a war crime where they're shooting from, it's a war crime where they're not aiming toward. Press doesn't care. Okay, on the press. So this morning I see uh, the, I think he's the chief correspondent for Reuters in Israel. And what happened yesterday was that the IDF put out a, some would say badly worded tweet, but I understood what they meant. They put out a tweet that said, we're gonna go up to the edge of Gaza and we're gonna hurl shit in there um, with our ground forces. It was quite clear to me, having watched the IDF spokesperson's Twitter account for as long as I have, in fact, having played some small part in getting it set up, to be honest, um, they were not announcing a ground invasion of Gaza on Twitter because you don't do that. I know they don't do that. And the press largely are not, dumb enough to think that they had just announced a, a land invasion. But some of the press, of course, took this ambiguously worded tweet and ran with it in that way. Now, they did they phone up the spokesperson and say, do you mean that we're going to have a ground invasion of Gaza tonight by Israeli forces? And the spokesperson would have said, hell no, obviously not. But the press don't do that because they don't do journalism anymore. They do activism. And the activism they wanted to do was, oh my God, there's going to be a ground war. There's going to be a ground war. And bullshit. Anyway, it's been clarified this morning. But then Dan Williams, the, this Reuters guy, he tweets out this morning, what is the rationale for a ground war? Which is actually a very good question. And the rationale in the past for a ground war has been the Air Force can't get all the targets it needs to without too much collateral damage. That's, and so you have to send in ground troops to do what the Air Force can't do. But that mathematics has changed. Firstly, when you send in Israeli troops, our children die, okay? They will die. 
if you send troops in to this area that where they've been dugging for, for 12 years now and they've got corner anti-tank missiles and we I know we've got trophy but some will get through and land we cannot do a land invasion without losing quite a lot of Israeli IDF soldiers whereas bombing them very likely not to result in casualties unless we have an accident on landing that's it and quite honestly, looking at the precision and the way in which we're taking down buildings with, you know, bombs that fly in at the base, I, it's, it's insanely uh, clever stuff that we're doing, all to avoid civilian casualties. Why do we need ground forces? We don't. Put the tanks on the border, throw the shells in. Don't care. I don't care about minimizing. We're doing enough minimizing of civilian casualties in Gaza, obviously. And this is the important point that the press play. The world's media are obviously either, they're, they're framing the story such that they don't report the steps that the IDF take to reduce civilian casualties. They don't believe the IDF. They put out lies about it. They take the Hamas uh, casualty figures on face value. So if, if Hamas says a certain number of children have been killed, they have no way to confirm that and they don't confirm it. They don't. Uh, check whether Hamas is counting 17-year-old fighting-age men as children. They probably are. They don't do any of this stuff. So any of the, the, the steps that Israel is taking to minimize civilian casualties whilst taking out military targets, both buildings, infrastructure, and commanders and people, the press gives us no credit for. So why the hell would we drive tanks in there, raise our danger level up a notch, and the press will condemn us anyway. They won't see this as a way of minimizing civilian casualties. And the fact that Dan Williams is asking the question, what is the strategic, what is the, what is the purpose of a ground invasion? It means he doesn't understand that historically it was better for avoiding civilian casualties if you've got troops. I don't think that works anymore. I think the air power that we demonstrate today and the precision and the drones and the, the guided weapons and, and all of this other stuff, I, I don't think the equation works. I think we would actually get more civilian casualties if we drove tanks in. But I don't know. You know, I'm not a military planner of this stuff. But I can tell you this. The attitude that the media takes by a slanted, malicious, evil, cruel, uh, one-sided framing of the entire conflict and this narrative, this thing, you know, you hear all everywhere. It's like, well, there have been 100 casualties on the, the Hamas, on the, on the Gazan and the Palestinian side and five people have been killed in Israel. Like that, like, like, you, like making that comparison ever ever matters it doesn't obviously because the simple answer to that is if we give 95 children to hamas and let them kill them will you will that will that make you happy will that even the score in a way that you you believe is proportionate no so we're back in this situation again we're all running for shelters some more than others uh at the back side of it is there's all sorts of intrigue as to you know, how, how this helps BB stay in power, how this doesn't help BB stay in power. And then, and this is something that you won't really understand outside of Israel so much, is actually 
the population, civilian population looking at this are not all that concerned with Gaza. We are much more concerned with what's going on in Ramleh and Lod and Akko and Jaffa and Haifa, all of these previously peaceful places of coexistence with Arabs. Suddenly it's all kicking off. Suddenly the Arabs have become belligerent and some Arabs and some Jews and you're gonna get clashes. And uh, hopefully we will send the army in. I think in Lod last night they were pretty harsh and they clamped down on this stuff, but this is very scary to people. Now look, I've always been an Islam realist is what I would call. I, I understand that any society built uh, with a, built on the foundations of the teachings of Muhammad, that society you can never be fully at ease with if you live next to them. If they rule you, you just follow the rules. If you wanna have them within your non-Islamic society and you wanna have a contingent of your population that follows those rules, you always have to be on your guard. You will never achieve multicultural, lay down your arms, kumbaya, everybody hug each, uh, hug each other and share a secret. You won't achieve that with Islam. Some Muslims will be great, some Muslims won't. Islam as a core product, I always say this is my glib line, there are bad Jews and Christians despite their religion, and there are good Muslims despite theirs. There is a problem with it. And so what this is doing, what seeing these fights go, you know, break out suddenly now, it's shaking the confidence of a class of Israelis and others, and especially left wing, who have a rosy, rose-tinted view that if there's economic development and they all get rich and they all have nice homes and cars and all of that crap, that suddenly the nature, the 1400-year nature of Islam as a as a method and an ideology for conquest and 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 basically control, they'll think that will change and that Israel was the, was going to prove the world wrong or prove 1400 years of history wrong and that the nature of Islam would change in Israel. It isn't going to happen doesn't mean you have to expel all your Muslims. Um, perhaps we can come up with better ways, but you can never drop your guard. And uh, in my opinion, the only way to deal with a thing that breaks out like this, both for, for, for when you've got an Arab population that's basically mounting an insurrection during a time of war, and a Jewish reactionary part, which is coming out to defend and then aggressively defend, um, the only way to deal with it is with massive overriding force to crush it quickly. So I mean putting the real army on the streets very fast, very hard, make it impossible for people to go out and start trouble uh, and mount an insurrection. Because this, mark my, this, this is, I'm not going to use their stupid word. Uh, this is this is a would-be insurrection. It can be broken. It's not, you know, it's not a few people walking outside the lines as they march through uh, the Capitol building uh, or break. You know that you you know th there's a reason why I read this morning that they've got like 10,000 hours of CCTV camera footage from inside the Capitol building from the January the sixth <laughs> event and um, they don't want to release it. Of course they don't want to release it because it's not an insurrection. It doesn't look like an insurrection. It's a bunch of people who thought they were walking through an open door and went inside to take a look at the paintings and the marble and the nice, you know, furniture they've got in there. 
that wasn't an insurrection. What's going on with Arabs burning synagogues in Lod, uh, that's an insurrection, okay? And you've got to crush it. You've got to crush it fast. Anyway, that's the guess. I'm going to, that's the Israel stuff. I'll just quickly mention my technical. I'm Brian of London, just to say again, I'm here in Israel. Uh, I've been working really hard on something called Pod Ping. Pod, as pod from podcasting, and ping, as in ping. And it's really coming together. We are going to create a global notification system for new episodes of podcasts which you will not believe but there is nothing that li li there's, there's there's almost nothing that works like this right now it's built on the hive blockchain which i've been a user and a proponent of for ages i wrote the code that's that's, that's pushing these pings out that get stored on the hive blockchain and then can be read by anyone anywhere in the world um without authentication without it, it it's it's a gorgeously elegant system and it solves a huge problem. And because the infrastructure, because of this massive hive blockchain infrastructure, which is decentralized, contributed by hundreds of individuals in a decentralized way, it's a, it's a fantastic use of blockchain technology in a non-financial setting. And I don't actually think there are too many of those out in the real world today. Um, and we, you know, we're going to go slowly, but I, I think within, by the end of the month, it'll be in live use. There'll be a real podcast host, which will send a signal, which will then get written to the Hive blockchain. That signal will go out and anybody who no, wants to know if shows on that podcast network have been updated, will be able to see in real time. And, you know, three, four, up to eight seconds later, they'll know. Um, once we work, we've proved it with one podcast host, we'll go out to the others. And we're going to all the independent ones. And they're already working with Dave Jones and Adam Curry at Podcasting 2.0 at the Podcast Index. Because the changes that Apple has made to podcasting, which technical I won't go into, but Apple, Spotify, Facebook, they're trying to crunch podcasting down into this centralized bullshit model that, that happened you know, when we got Facebook and when we got Twitter. We don't want that to happen. We don't want YouTube. We don't want it all centralized. We're going to keep it decentralized and pod ping on Hive, Hive Hydra as it's some part of it's called. That is an engine for decentralization, for keeping the internet free of censorship, free of control, out of the hands of these centralized monsters. Um, so I'm really excited about that. That's the plus side, um, you know, living under rocket fire. I'm, at least I'm working in my bomb shelter. My family has to come join me. Um, but that's it. Anyway, I'm Brian of London. I'm going to kill it here, as Dan would say. Uh, see you the next time. Um, like, share, subscribe, wherever this is. Oh, and stream me sats. Um, find my podcast on a podcasting 2.0 app, like, uh, where, like uh, Podfriend. Uh, put in some sats and stream sats. Try, try it out. If you need help, ping me on Twitter, ping me on Telegram. Brian of London, I'm there on all of these platforms. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening and uh, stay safe. Just a quick addition to uh, what I said earlier, because uh, when I came home, I saw uh, news reports that said that this deception uh, was actually a uh, part of a huge plan which was executed last night with 160 aircraft simultaneously dropping bombs on the tunnel network that Hamas have all across Gaza. And part of the deception was putting out that tweet.
which uh, was amplified by the media. New York Times picked it up. Reuters, everybody spread it. And that led Hamas to believe there was actually going to be an invasion. Um, many of their fighters went down into their tunnel systems and some of the others stayed at the top of the tunnels with their anti-tank weapons uh, to fend off the incoming tanks, which were never coming. And uh, basically, we're waiting to see the exact results, but I suspect that the IDF and the Air Force have blown an enormous hole in the capabilities of Hamas, especially by using a deception which they knew the media would all fall for and help with. Brilliant.